Welcome, 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 welcome. Hello, hello. This is Knowledge XP. I am John Brandt. I'm Nate Edom. And we're here after dark. <laughs> you don't know it. You don't care. That's Who knows right. what you're doing? Are you mowing your lawn? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope maybe one, oh, well, one more time before winter. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> maybe they're maybe they're lying in bed, yeah. going going. Hmm. I want to think about some stuff. Is this doing it for you, honey? <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge XP after dark. Well, we're here back in the uh, evening hours, um, and the kids are asleep. And we're going to talk about interesting things, interesting things, and interesting people. And I am so excited about uh, today and this evening, and and to get to some more things. I was so happy with the way uh, the previous episode turned out, and uh, I started looking for interesting things to talk with my friend Nate about, and record, and send out into the ether, into the world into other people, to another place, possibly Australia. Mm-hmm. You know? I bet they'd love it there. It's a place. It is. Have you ever been? I have not, unfortunately. But I'll be there. In spirit? Someday. I hear um, it's now October. We're recording this in October. And I hear it's springtime, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Why is it somewhere else on the other side? I understand... Okay, like, good. I am a geographer, <laughs> so if you need an explanation, we can get there. <laughs> no, I know that the world is tilted. Um, oddly tilted. Why is it tilted? I don't know that anybody really knows. You know, it, the tilt changes over time. Well, but yeah, but that's just because it's a relation to the sun, right? And that's the, the summer-spring yeah. problem that I've, I'm talking about with Australia. But outside of that, I mean, it could be perpendicular what would be the yeah and i shouldn't say nobody i there may be somebody knows i don't know and i'm get nobody knows for certain though how's that i'm guessing that that why does the planets tilt wobble over time i don't know i don't either and can anybody really know anything that's my second question yeah that's a great question <laughs> thank you but we're gonna try to get to know things today mm-hmm. and i am so excited about my first one i can hardly explain it but if you want to go first you can no go for it okay so excited so uh this guy is a guy from the enlightenment okay okay and uh he is basically the forrest gump of the enlightenment and except he's super smart and he stumbles onto every single historical figure of that era and interacts with them with what he does as a, as a special human being. He interacted with, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, Marie Antoinette, Mozart and Ben Franklin at the end of his days. And by interact, I mean, had some kind of life changing thing with them. Oh, okay. So not just like a coffee. No, he he may have had coffee. But um, it was bigger. It was bigger. It was uh, more bitter. Oh. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what he did as far as coffee is concerned. He was a medical doctor. And he's one of the few people in the entire history of humanity that their last name ends up being a verb. Hmm. Hmm. I should, should I know him? 
I I would hope you don't. Okay. But you might. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. His name is is and I want to do his whole name here. His name is Franz Frederick Anton Mesmer. Hmm. Does that help? Yeah. Do you know Franz? I don't, but I think I know where this might be going. Oh, good. Because last time we talked about a little thing called hysteria. Oh, yes. Right? And it was about a psychosomatic illness that uh, people could suffer from. Well, guess what? Franz had a cure for hysteria. And uh, it was a weird uh, kind of cure. But he was born um, in Germany, and he lived his time there. And it was about, let me get the right year here. It was 1734 when he was in this small village in Germany. He uh, was eight years old. He went off to a monastery to learn Latin, which I guess was kind of a thing that they did mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, at the age of 12, his parents decided for him that he was going to go be a Catholic priest. So he went off to the Jesuits. At the age of 16, uh, he learned logic, metaphysics, theology. Age of 20, he continued on that path, and he learned mathematics, philosophy, uh, physics, theology, French, and Latin. And at the end of his studies, he had a doctorate in uh, philosophy. And then at the age of 25, he decided he was going to go study law. And he just, this is the one thing he quit. Uh, He was going to go to law school in Vienna. And after his first year, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go be a medical doctor. So he went and he studied medicine. And uh, at the age of 31, he became a medical doctor, and he passed his final medical exams with honors. And uh, that's when he met Sir Isaac Newton. And he met Sir Isaac Newton um, because of their belief back then. And, and this, is, this is a fascinating thing to me, too. So they believed that heavenly bodies um, had a fluid in them. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the moon was sitting in water and your body was sitting in water. Like air was basically a liquid. Sure. And so if you could measure some kind of reaction from the moon, that would have a direct effect on your body. And, and I'm going to read this whole thing, even though it's kind of boring, but I, I think this is interesting because this is from, um, Sir Isaac Newton. And he says, uh, this is about his, philosophy on heavenly bodies causing health effects in people. And this is his quote. um, And he says, and now we might add something concerning a certain most subtle spirit, which pervades and lies hid in all gross bodies, not gross, like ick, but like things with mass by the force and action of which spirit, the particles of bodies mutually attract one another at near distances and cohere, and electric bodies operate to greater distances, and the members of animal bodies move at the command of the, and of the will, namely, by the vibrations of this spirit mutually propagated along the solid filaments of the nerves from the outward organs of sense to the brain and from the brain into muscles. So they're describing that your, your will... What you're doing with your body, the actions that you're doing, is in direct effect to heavenly bodies. And um, this is called magnetism. Okay. So it's animal magnetism, this part of electricity that's, that's going on uh, in, in, your, in your bodies. And by using magnets, this dude, uh, Franz, was able to manipulate 
these things that are going on in your body. So he started his medical clinic. Well, first of all, he did this. Um, he married a woman 10 years older than him that was super, super loaded, which I guess was kind of a thing back then. Good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you want to, if you want to get into treating psychosomatic illness, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting with a, with some solid wealth and connections is probably a good way to go. Cause if you're just standing on a street corner saying, uh, if you have psychosomatic illnesses, please give me a nickel and I'll, I'll treat them for you. That's not going to help. So he uh, started his medical practice, and his medical practice was solely focused on this animal magnetism. He would make these people who would come into his office drink like iron ore, and then he would take the magnets and he would move it around their body, and they would be like, "Ooh, I, I, <laughs> this is you're you're curing me, doctor." Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people he had so much money uh after starting his medical practice of curing these things and having these people come and uh you know swallow iron ore that he would he actually commissioned uh one of the first operas from a 12-year-old uh Amadeus Mozart so uh he commissioned an opera from Mozart at the when Mozart was 12 and uh they, I guess the way they did that, they came and they like lived with them for a while. Oh, nice. So like you put them up and you give them room and board and then you're like, okay, I'll do all this. All you have to do is just write me an opera when you're done. Mm-hmm. Mozart. And so <laughs> he had to go do that. And so he had Mozart come into his life. And then at the age of 40, um, he became, uh, part of this other movement with uh, a Jesuit astronomer and astrologer because of the connection between everything. Uh, named Maximilian Hell, which is his last name. I don't know why he didn't change it, but he didn't change it. And it was all about curing illnesses using magnet therapy, which we were talking about. So he continued doing that. Um, and then he invented this apparatus. Uh, and this is this is where it gets weird. I Go don't know. On. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's it it it's B A Q U E T. And I want to say Bequay. Does that sound at all right? Yeah, I'd I'd say that's a solid attempt. Okay, uh, Bequay is what we're going to call it, and it's a large wooden tub equipped with a layer of iron fillings, and he had saturated with a large dose of his animal magnetism fluid. I have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it was he believed that he had such animal magnetism that it that it, that he was part of this and so he needed to do this in order to make this bequay work and these people these patients that would come would uh come and sit in his uh animal magnetism fluid uh with a layer of iron fillings on the top and they would be like oh i feel better right and then he built this huge one that could treat 20 to 30 patients simultaneously. Nice. <laughs> that was filled with iron iron ore layer and then whatever his ag- uh, animal magnetism fluid was. And then in 1777, which is a very interesting time in humanity, I yeah. would say. Um, but in 1777, there was a, a woman, uh, a girl who was blind. And this girl's blindness um, went away when she was around him. Hmm. She could see when she was around him, but when she went away from him, she was blind again. 
And the consensus after that was that she was, it was a psychosomatic blindness. Okay. That he could cure by the power of suggestion. Okay. Um, so he suggested to this girl that this would cure. And because it was a psychosomatic illness, she believed she could be cured. And therefore she was. Which is fascinating to me. Power of placebo. It, that's exactly... If he would have focused only on that, he would have been one of the most famous physicians and medical people in history. But because he stayed in the pseudoscience and believed in this whole animal magnetism fluid thing, then people, all they had to do was disprove the fluid thing, and then you disprove everything that he sure. does. So he focused on the wrong thing. And because of this, people got really, really mad at him around 1777. And they said, um, this blind girl keeps being blind when you're not around her, so what are you doing? So he leaves at the age of 42. Um, he completely abandons his, or no, he, he stays in, uh, he leaves Vienna where he was, and then he moves to Paris, and he completely abandons his wife. Well, I mean, he, I'm sure he took her money, but sure. Um, other than that, he completely abandoned her, and um, he went to Paris at this time, which is a very interesting time in, in Parisian history. And he opened up a shop there, became very popular, wrote a book about uh, the 27 principles of animal magnetism, which are basically, you know, chi and all that stuff from, from Eastern philosophies that he was applying to this heavenly body magnetism thing. And Again, he became very, very popular with uh, Louis the Sixteenth and his wife Marie Antoinette. They were impressed by him, um, and this is this is a funny thing about him. He didn't dress like the other doctors dressed. He dressed like a wizard, and he nice. wore, <laughs> he wore like a long silk gown, and he sometimes waved a magnetized wand over the heads of these people, and they they reported that they were captivated by his piercing stare. And I thought that was interesting because I think of. Have you ever seen a photo of Rasputin? Yeah. Doesn't that dude have a wicked stare? He does. Like, and it's like, whoa. He practiced it. You know he did. He did? Well, I don't know. I <laughs> guess he did. <laughs> that he practiced that stare that he had. I mean, it was it's just a scary thing. So he, they would have these uh, big, uh, oh, what do you call them? I guess meetings where these people would come to be cured, 200 patients at a time, and they would freak out when he would come out to the stage and do his little magnetism thing. They would freak out so much that uh, people, particularly women, um, would start having convulsions in his presence, and he had little helpers <laughs> that would take them off to crisis rooms. Mm. So these these young women would uh, you know start convulsing in his presence. <laughs> Maybe you're used to this. Maybe this is right. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna talk play tectonic today. <laughs> they would fall down, and uh, they would have to be taken off to these crisis rooms, and and that's when the newspapers got involved with uh, Mr. Franz uh, Mesmer, and and they would say, okay, he's treating all these women in these crisis rooms, and he's in there an awfully long time. In, in these crisis rooms with these women. So he suggest, they suggested that uh, he was uh, sexually exploiting these women uh, who were in his care. And that was the end of France for him uh, because <laughs> the, the king, uh, Louis XVI, also thought 
that you know Marie Antoinette was maybe a little too close to him mm-hmm. uh, than she should be. So they uh, did an investigation, and they investigated his methods again. That whole magnetism thing, and they had the best minds uh, at the time in 1784 that they could think of to do this. And uh, one of those minds that was there to disprove his theory was a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Mm. So Benjamin Franklin spent a lot of time in France, particularly at that time, and uh, he was there to debunk him. And uh, he debunked, debunked him because it obviously it's not a real thing. It's, it's a psychosomatic cure for, it's a pseudoscience uh, for psychosomatic illnesses. And so he concluded that the magnetic fluid doesn't exist and that any benefit to the patients from his treatments was simply in their imagination. And um, after that, in 1785, um, Frank Franz, not Frank, Franz Mesmer uh, completely disappeared. And he was a nomad. He traveled to France, Germany, Great Britain, Austria, Switzerland, all these places, setting up little shops, doing his little uh, mesmerizing thing and uh, there were copycat mesmerists that showed up and uh, then at the end of his life he lived to be 80 years old in 1815 um, he he died of a stroke and he ended up living living exactly where he was was born and there's so many things fascinating about his life that I think somebody should make a movie about him uh, maybe us. Yeah, let's do it. I don't know. Uh, a movie. Because you take a guy like Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Hamilton was at a very pivotal time. And if I had any musical talent or ability to write lyrics or Broadway connections, mm-hmm. I could make, you know, Mesmer um, oh, yeah. a Tony Award winning uh, production on yeah. Broadway. But I don't have that. So somebody else is going to have to do that. No, nah, we could do it. Well, good. Here in town, locally, <laughs> locally, locally. But but he uh, he. I think he's a fascinating individual. I've never heard about him before. Have you ever heard about him? I have not. I've heard mesmerizing. Well, yeah, but yeah. Well, it comes from a dude. It's not just like oh, that's a fun word. No, it's Franz Mesmer who could uh, trick people into curing themselves. And another thing I think is fascinating about Franz Mesmer is he takes. Uh, psychosomatic brain problems that manifest themselves into a physical problem. Mm -hmm. And he cures those. Mm -hmm. And he was ran out of the world because scientists didn't believe him. These same scientists who were persecuted by a church for having physical solutions rather than spiritual solutions. So I think it's, he's the opposite side of the pendulum there. And I just think he's just, a fascinating dude. And that is interesting because it's, it's just, okay, well you don't have the science to do it. Well, maybe humanity contains both. Maybe humanity has a psychosomatic, a soul part of things that can manifest themselves physically. And then maybe we have a physical side that can affect how we feel and, and things like that. So you can treat both. Maybe it isn't just one or the other. And I think uh, society probably harmed uh, Franz Mesmer a little more than they should have. But anyway, yeah. I, I'm really excited about Franz Mesmer. I, I think he's cool, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about him. No, that's it's interesting. I, I can see that he got ran out of France for good reasons. You know, I don't think those healing rooms or whatever were 
above board, but I wasn't there. So well, maybe that's the the fake news. Maybe that's uh, right. Maybe somebody just wanted to get rid of him. They're like, eh, you yeah, know what he's doing in there, right? Just that's to right. get rid of him, and that'd be enough back then to you oh, know yeah. tarnish his reputation get and make burned him go at away. The stake. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be good. No. Anything else on Franz Mesmer? No, I, I guess I was wondering. I wonder what the health effects. Is there a downside? Is there a downside to swallowing an iron-rich solution and having somebody rub a magnet over your belly and bowels? I wonder if there's a downside. Um, I suppose extended exposure. I, I, your blood's got iron in it, and there's slight right. magnetism to it. Right. Uh, but, but how much your body wouldn't absorb more iron than probably it needed? No, you would. You would, you would excrete it. Right. Uh, but I'm what what comes to my mind is that actually sounds pretty cool as just an experience. No health effects. Oh yeah. I would swallow a glass of iron and let somebody rub magnets over my belly just to feel what it felt like. And I bet there's a lot of people out there who would pay to do so. Like an internal, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Uh, like an internal <laughs> tickle. Exactly. I mean that that exactly. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do. Mm, yeah. I'd probably vomit. We, right. You want to? Yeah, we could. Uh, we'll we could revisit this because if that's not illegal, <laughs> I can see some. <laughs> I could see. It's, I think it's still a great idea. Are you Just opening for, a, this up to future podcasts? Uh, future podcasts and Testing. maybe a road show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we can do it to animals. I think that would be a no. No, it'd be human consent for yeah, sure. Yeah, human able of consent. So somebody over the age of nineteen, right? No of sound side, mind and body. No side rooms. <laughs> no side rooms at all uh, here, and they'd have to know that it was iron ore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't tease them, and I don't know whether I'd feel comfortable administering it. It'd probably have to be some kind of medical, yeah, medical thing. I'd be all right with a robot moving their magnet around. Do we program the robot? Uh, so the robots are doing our mesmerizing now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a brave new world. Okay. What do you got? Well, do we want to, where do we want to start? The future or the past, I guess. Is there a difference? Ooh, mesmerizing. <laughs> um, how about we go to the found, to the first people to live in North America. You know much about the settling of North America or what we think we know about the settling of North the, America? The first humans, not the first Europeans. Right. Okay. Um, I know this is my basic public school knowledge would be um, some type of, of uh, well, they wouldn't have been Native Americans, but some type of indigenous, well, wouldn't be indigenous. I don't know what to call them, but they came from off the Bering Strait I think, in I, Russia. What yeah, would you call them? So the Canadians call them First Nationers. Okay, First Nationers. And I that's, think that's, that's a, a good, good Yeah, that is a good word. Yeah. Um, there was a PBS documentary a few years, several years ago on the Salutrians. Are you familiar with it? No. Uh, so this is a, a group of hunters from northern France and Iberia uh, 21,000 years ago. Are these the cave drawer people? No, they're okay. after them. That okay. was like 70,000 years oh, ago. Oh, wow. Uh, and they found even older cave paintings now Ugh. in some somewhere else. But uh, so these people, uh, there, there was evidence. Have you heard of the Clovis Point Spear? It's N- no. It's a spear point uh, that is 
thought to be the first technology developed in North America. It's a, it's the quintessential kind of spear. Arrowhead. Uh, Native American spear. Yeah, it's bigger than an arrowhead. Okay. But yeah, you're right. An arrowhead, it's bigger. It's got... Well, you're describing a triangle for me with like little wings the, on the bottom. The little wings on the bottom. Uh, these are hor- I'm horrible yeah. at description. No, that's good. That, okay. yeah, two little... Yeah. Kind of like a Star, Star Trek insignia. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but even. And, okay. uh Or what, uh, symmetrical. How's that? Sure. Uh, yeah. There, so there's some evidence that this North American technology, this is years ago when PBS, this was the newest evidence at the time. Uh, if you look in northern France at the Salutrians, they had some uh, artifacts that looked to be in line with the Clovis point, like the predecessors. Okay. And so these are hunters similar to Inuits in uh, Alaska and Canada, Eskimos, ice hunters. Right. And uh, so they're... The theory was that 20,000 years ago, the Salutrians followed seals over and brought their technology with them, and it advanced into the Clovis culture in America. Uh, the ice bridge, the land bridge that you talked about during right. the glaciation, was another migration from Asia. Uh, and that's what historians have thought is the first population of uh, North America. The land bridge across Siberia. This is the Ice Age, so you've got miles thick ice sheets over. Uh, coming off Baffin Island and covering Canada. And so when you have that much ice, uh, water locked up as ice, sea levels drop. So these people didn't walk across uh, an ice bridge. They walked across land oh. next to the ice sheet. Because okay. the, the continental shelves were exposed. Uh, I did bring some visuals. <laughs> what you'll need to imagine is a map of the earth with a little more land. <laughs> so... Oh yeah, I that's think, exactly it. I think the most interesting point is to look at what would what becomes today's United Kingdom, the British Isles. Mm-hmm. It's a continental landmass connected to Europe during twenty thousand years ago. Yeah, they're all con- everything's basically connected. Yeah, so uh, lots of continental shelves were exposed, um, and this is when these migrations were happening. This is this predates the Bering Strait crossing the Salutrians, by uh, 5,000-plus years, likely. Hmm. So scientists said, well, no, we're not – there's not enough evidence to say the Salutrians beat the Asian populations across the Bering. Well, just within the last couple of months, they've found some settlements along the northeastern seaboard of the United States, the Atlantic seaboard, that uh, strongly suggest that the Salutrians were the first in America. So these are the Salutrians, the hunter-gatherers from basically France, France and they walked all the way they over Siberia? No, no, no. They they traveled uh, by boat, and they went from ice, like iceberg or ice, floating ice sheet, floating ice sheet, little islands of ice out in the Arctic. Oh. And so they were chasing seals. So they went up and over. Yeah. Instead of... Across the Atlantic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, because your map here, it shows basically an ice sheet over to Greenland and then over to Canada. That's them. And then they came down into the Americas. And this is before, just so I know, um, there's nothing going on in South America, humanity-wise? 
Not that we're not that we know. Um, I, my understanding is that there's always been a couple. There's been some controversial sites that have kind of challenged the Bering Strait theory for a while because there's sediments or uh, settlements. They found some fire rings and things, and you, that allows us to do carbon dating. Right. And they found some settlements down there that have been challenged that were probably about seventeen thousand years. And so the land bridge, you know. 11, 12, 13,000 years ago, walking across the Bering. So there was, there's evidence to suggest that people were in South America before the Bering crossing. And so this Salutrian theory. Makes sense. Yeah, it does. And now they found, now they found more evidence to support that. And so it's increasingly likely. And there's, there's some, uh, there are a few tribes that have some, uh, some DNA that, isn't shared or in some languages that aren't shared with other native cultures. What about, what about the theory that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I like, um, humans from Asia, from China, because if you're looking at this map because of the lower sea levels and the exposed, um, land masses, you can Island hop all the way over to South America. There's a nice little nice little train there oh yeah that if you just kept going island to island eventually you would get to this huge landmass right and i don't know i just have a tough time thinking that there was nothing here for i agree ten thousands of years and they were everywhere else there was humans everywhere else but there was nothing here right i mean why wouldn't there be that's right i i tend to think that you know science is about evidence and data yeah what we know what we can see we know and what we can prove and that's as it should be um but I, I would say, you know, we've been around for a couple hundred thousand years, roughly, as a species, mm-hmm. modern man. Sure. Uh, I would hypothesize that we've been all over this world for as long as we've been people. I oh, would yeah. imagine that there's probably, it wouldn't surprise me if you got back and there was people that predated the Salutrians in North America. Well, because there's something in us that goes, what's over there? Right. And because of that... Yeah. Whenever there's a, somebody thinking what's over there, there's somebody who's going to eventually go over there. Right. It's it's Moana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nice. <laughs> it is. It's it, it's it's you know uh, it's it's deciding for yourself to go somewhere else to see what it's something that's innate in human that's being right. and in our spirit, and so. If there is a landmass to discover, we are going to find a way to get there. The The question is not whether we were there. The question is whether t- the technology allowed for them to get there. But I, I, I would suggest that the technology probably doesn't have to be too sophisticated to get all the way around no, the to world. Walk, to walk across the land bridge. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, there, it was... The table was set to, to walk around uh, these continental shelves. And then, as things warmed up, the uh, the glaciers, the ice, uh, the ice caps, and things they melted, and then the water, the sea levels rose, and then it's like, well, we can't go back there anymore. Yeah, without some, yeah, advancements in technology. Yeah, that's right, huh? And we we've got a good life over here now. We don't have to deal with those tribes over here anymore. So, yeah. do you know what's amazing? What? That fits into my next one. Excellent. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, did we go to the moon? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I think we did go to the moon. You think we actually went to the moon? Do you think we went to the moon when we said we did? I I do think we went to the moon when we said we did. Do you think the government has ever had an incentive to lie about going to the moon? Oh, I mean, the Cold War for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been incentive to lie about it. So if there's incentive to lie about it, do you think we ever had the ability to lie about it and make it be believable? Yes. And if you were going to um, solicit somebody to help you uh, fake a moon landing, oh yeah, uh, who would you get around that time? Hmm. Hmm. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Stanley Kubrick uh, didn't probably fake the moon landing, right? But he thought it was funny, I think. I don't know much about him. I, I, I know that he was really just a genius. I, yeah. I, I think that's fair. I like his films. Yeah. A majority of them. Yeah. I, I could... But anyway, they, most of them were really good. A very commercial film that he did was uh, that's a you know a Halloweeny kind of film is is The Shining. Sure. Um, but it's also psychological thriller ish as opposed as in addition to, um, you know, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yep. Is that the one? That's okay. the one. So he dropped a whole bunch of you would call them today Easter eggs mm-hmm. about him. Um, maybe faking the moon landing mm-hmm. in that film. He either did it intentionally, um, as some people believe, a, hey guys, if you follow these breadcrumbs, right. you're going to figure out that I faked the moon landing and I did it. Right. And because I can't tell you directly, I'm going to leave all these secrets in my films. Right. Or he did it in the sense of, you know, it'd be really funny if I... Uh, Got a bunch of these weirdos to think that I faked the moon landing yeah. by dropping some, you know, completely silly moon, la- uh, you know, uh, references to me faking the moon landing in this really popular film that I'm being forced to make or whatever, The Shining. So there are some things in the movie The Shining. I assume that you've seen the movie. It's the been Shining. a while. It's been a while. Well, there's some really glaring things. Um, the first of which is the The Shining came out in 1980. And um, the room where a lot of weird stuff happened, mm-hmm. you remember that room with the, the, the lady in the bath who gets up and she's all decomposed and yeah. things like that. Well, uh, I guess at first she's beautiful and then she becomes decomposed. Well, the room there, do you remember the name of that, or the number of that room? Probably not, but there is a documentary yeah. about all this. Yeah. Uh, the room is called uh, the room 237. Okay. And the thought at the time was it was 237,000 miles to the moon. Mm. Um, it's not really accurate, but that's that's the theory, uh, is 237 miles to the room. At, at that time in 1980, that's what they thought it was. Also, um, the little boy has a ugly sweater. Okay. And do you remember that at all? I don't remember what it looks like. It had uh, the Apollo 11 oh, on it. Yeah. It had yeah. two rocket ships and it had the Apollo 11. Um, so that that was a nod to the Apollo 11 uh, moon landing and it being fake like his like his sweater. And this little boy does this all the time. And the little boy, if there's even more deeper theories because you, maybe you know how compar- conspiracy theorists are. 
Yeah, I do. I do. I, I dabble in that world quite frequently. <laughs> they kind of latch onto things that you're like, eh, maybe. But they're yeah. like the beginning shot where uh, little Danny uh, with the Apollo 11 sweater like hops out of bed. Well, that's just a rocket ship coming mm. off. And mm-hmm. and then eventually he's uh, you know off into this uh, strange world uh, of the Overlook Hotel. Um, and the weird stuff happens there. Another thing is the carpets have some kind of weird hexagonal shape to them, like the carpet design. And they're saying that that is, um, at the time, NASA had uh, hexagonal launching pads. And so he's sitting there in this Apollo 11 shirt, running, riding his bike, seeing the come play with us Danny girls. And he's riding his bike on these hexagonal launching pads. And these are all these breadcrumbs that uh, Stanley Kubrick um, left in his film, The Shining, in order to uh, demonstrate to all the smart people that the moon landing was fake. And I remember seeing uh, movies and stuff about the moon landing being fake when uh, I was growing up. And one of the big things they focused on that always kind of struck me is the lighting of things Mm -hmm. and the fact that the uh, flag didn't wave. Yeah. Which I suppose, you know, using my the age I am now looking back, I'm like, well, you're in direct sunlight. So the lighting's going to be weird and there's no atmosphere. So why would there be a, why would their flag be waving? Right. I, I think there might be a slight atmosphere on the moon, but nothing to, I don't know that it's enough to stir a breeze. Yeah. Uh, I think there might be, I've looked, I've seen this, I've seen this, uh, that's why I knew Kubrick. There may be some, I don't know how much you want to look into this. Like I said, I, I like the conspiracy theory world. It just, I'm not saying I buy into everything, uh, but they talk about this stuff. Um, there might be some tapes of Kubrick talking about moon landing stuff. Uh, about him faking it? Right. And and I don't know if it's legit or not. I believe I've listened to these. I, I can't remember. I listened to a lot of this stuff at, late at night. Um, one of the interesting, you know, there's some who suggest we never went and it was all to beat the communists and all of that. Right. But there's some who suggest that it's, we went to the moon when we said we did and Kubrick took the photos on Earth. Oh, so they did both. They did both, and what happened on the moon... In case they wouldn't come back. Well, no. Okay. They did it after the fact because there was camera malfunctions on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) And so they had to recreate it because they just, they needed the prop, they needed to present it to the people. You almost said propaganda, and I wouldn't disagree with it. It's what it is. It's saying, look at how great we are. We we made it. But it's also more of, "Eh, we just spent (laughs) how much money, and we couldn't get a decent picture. Ugh. I, I'm feeling very sympathetic to that right now. Because it may, I mean, it. you can kind of see in 1969, yeah. we don't know. I mean, we didn't even know what the, uh, on these lunar landers, we didn't know what the surface was going to be like. We right. didn't know if it was going to be solid rock or 50 feet of dust. And so we hedged both ways. We built these giant feet on the landers. Right. They could not sink like a snowshoe. And we also, in case it was rock, we had like rock shocks. We had shocks on the joints of the uh, legs to cut to hedge our bets. What did it end up being, rock 
right? I mean, that's what it, I have in my yeah, head. I don't know. It's kind of a it's mix. not gas. It's I kind of a think, mix. But... I think. I don't. It, it didn't. These things didn't sink like they thought they okay. might. So. Uh, Was it made of cheese? No. No, but I did write a children's book that involved that that got rejected several years ago. Uh, anyway, it's a different Sorry, story. Sorry, sore subject. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't bring up the cheese theory. But uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a break. And uh, I'm going to play us out here with a, a fun song called uh, Frontier Psychiatrist, which I think fits Yes, fits the world it does. that we're in. So we'll listen to a little bit of it, and then we'll come back. Mr. Kirk, Dexter's in school. I'm afraid he's not, Miss Fishbourne. Dexter's truancy problem is way out of hand. The Baltimore County School Board have decided to expel Dexter from the entire public school system. Oh, Mr. Kirk, I'm an offended as you to learn Dexter's truancy, but surely expulsion is not the answer. I'm afraid expulsion is the only answer. It's the opinion of the entire staff that Dexter is criminally insane. Insane, insane, insane. That was too much of that song, but we had to go get coffee. That's right. Because it's late at night. Talk about continental shelves. And we did. We talked about continental shelves while we got coffee, which you can't do every day. That's right. (laughs) I try, but nobody listens. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're at number three or number four of our interesting things to talk about this evening. Nate. I guess we can... uh, Follow the Salutrians in their pursuit of meat. Would you eat lab-grown meat? Would I eat lab-grown meat? Do I know it's lab-grown meat? That's a good question. In a blind taste test, yeah, you would eat it. Right. But would you go to the store and buy... What is it? Mm, I don't want that. Can you give me the lab? That's right. Um, Isn't all meat kind of lab-grown? Well... In a sense, it's, it's just a big lab. But this is—I needed to grab my notes. I didn't oh, okay. Jot down notes here. I'm not ignoring you with a <laughs> virtual conversation here. No, that's okay. Uh, Text away. <laughs> no. uh, this is this is petri dishes and stem cells. No, I yeah. I, I get the concept. Like, yeah. it, but it's growing. It's not human. No, or, no excuse me. It's, it's not natural. In well. Any, well See, and that's what I'm struggling with. It's like, where do you draw the line between what's natural and what's what's weird? Yeah. So basically what they do, excuse me, they, uh, and Bill Gates is investing in this, even Cargill, excuse me, uh, Cargill's investing. Uh, So they'll take a sample from a cow, a muscle tissue sample. They'll replicate it. They'll, They'll pull out stem cells. They'll replicate them thousands of times, and then they'll develop into the muscle fibers 
Okay. And then that grows into a chunk of meat, a chunk of muscle. Okay. And so it's, it's being touted as clean meat. Clean meat. Yeah, as opposed to... Dirty meat. Methane-producing, range-roving <sighs> meat. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, the real meat. Meat, yeah. Now meat. we got some new coke. And so there's... Yeah. <laughs> there's the opponents, you know, say this This isn't... Stop calling it meat because right. this is it's not It's something meat. else. It's meat-like yeah. substance. Yeah. But there's millions of dollars. Bill Gates, Cargill, these are big foundations, big people, big investors putting money into this. Why, why are you putting money into it? What's the, what's the end goal? It has to cost so much to make a, a pound of hamburger. In, night, in 2013, a patty, and they're talking, most of these measurements in this article I read were talking in quarter pounders. I did some math. So, uh, so McDonald's is funding the research. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one patty... Quarter pounder, I assume. They mm-hmm. didn't give a weight on this. They sure. just said one patty on the first one. 2013, $300,000. <laughs> <laughs> but this year, uh, one pound cost $2,400. So in five That's years. Right. Yeah. And so the future, you can see that once Absolutely. you get it, it's it's going to be cheap. Once you hit the right, right uh, price point, you'll be able to feed everybody a protein-like substance. Oh, it's Soylent Green, isn't it? Yeah. I and mean, that's what it is. It, not not people, but in the sense, right. oh, I just ruined a movie for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're all right. <laughs> okay, good. Unless there's a remake in the works. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you'll ever remake that. That's like make, remaking The Sixth Sense or something. Right, yeah, that's it's a great like, point. It's like, oh, yeah, Sixth Sense 2. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, his problem? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he still sees them. Oh, oh! I didn't see that coming. <laughs> what an M Night Shyamalan <laughs> twist. Uh, so no, there's some hurdles. FDA approval, obviously. Okay, well, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, meat is meat, right? Yeah, protein's protein. The 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 DNA is the DNA. Yeah, I'm gonna feel better about it if it comes from a cow because yeah. that's what I'm used to and mm-hmm. that's how I grew up. If I'm in a place where you can't get cows, yeah, but I can get petri patties. Um, ooh, we should trademark petri patties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound advertising. But <laughs> but I think if if I'm in a place where I can only get those, well, I'm going to go. This is the best burger I've ever had in my life because it might be true. Right. But I grew up in Nebraska. Yeah. Where it, I have great beef, and that's what they say is they're still striving for authentic taste. So, I don't want to eat meat, quote unquote, that tastes like I don't know what it would taste like a doctor's office. No, (laughs) (laughs) it would taste like what people thought meat should taste like if they've Uh, never had meat. Right. Yeah. And and that's that would not yeah be good. Diet soda versus regular soda. Yeah. There's differences. Yeah. I I don't know. Would you eat it? Uh, if if I had to, if yeah. you had to, and okay. I, you know, and and I say had to. This is a. I suppose this is the the big impetus be, behind this is likely uh, climate and environmental quality. Um, so it'll be better for 
the less world. methane, sure, less less methane, less water consumption. Uh, so rather than get us to change our habits or to eat something else, let's just give you a pseudo. If you want, if you want fix. meat, here's an alternative. Here's your methadone of meat. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I in 2003, I was an intern in Washington D.C. And there was another gal there who had been, uh, she had just come back from a study in Peru. And we were talking, this this was in its infancy back then. I had seen something and I said, mm-hmm. that's the future. We're going to start growing meat in labs. We were drinking around a campfire. Sure. I said, there's going to be meat grown in labs and we will eat this meat. And this woman looked at me. <laughs> I've never seen any, nobody's looked at me in my life like this. She looks like I'm a serial killer standing there telling her that I just ate her grandmother. You know, she's looking at me and said, oh, that's so unnatural and unspiritual. Mm. She she Ooh. brought in a spiritual connection and it almost, mm. she shuddered for humanity that we're moving away from this bond that the. What if we made robot cows mm. that could grow the meat on them and then yeah. we could kill them? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So we, you know, so we can still you know have the spiritual connection. You know what this meat's missing? The slaughter. <laughs> I can't taste the kill. I think that it, there is something to that. Yeah, and so that's maybe an appreciation. We've we've pro- we've it's a tra- it's a progression away from hunter. Okay, I'm gonna go there because that's what this is about. Yeah, let's do it. I can make meat in a petri dish that tastes like cows. Why can't I make pe- meat in a petri dish that tastes like humans? You can, yeah. And then you sell it to people, yeah. And, and they're like, "Hmm, delicious." So there are cannibals out there. I'm sure of it. Still, you know, we find them every once in a while popping up in society. Yeah. And uh, so, will they? Will this technology become? You know, is it going to be like a chia pet? Hey, grow your own meat kids you know <laughs> well yeah so could you then buy that kit if you get you grew a human it at home. maybe there's going to be clubs like these vampire clubs Ugh. where they're drinking each other's blood and all of this will there be clubs where let's get some petri dishes and grow each other's meat and then we can be cannibals without murdering people that's a that's I suppose a that that's that's a better <laughs> solution <laughs> right talk about methadone yeah i mean it's like okay well please don't do that yeah, Mr. Dahmer. But here's some uh, yeah. chia pet meat. <laughs> here's a petri dish and a bag of ingredients. Good luck. <laughs> Mix <them> together. <laughs> Have fun. Um, yeah, I guess. And then what? What happens if that became really popular? And then they just didn't call it human flesh. They were just like new and improved beef. Yeah. And then guess what? To bring this full circle, soil and green is people. Yeah, I like it. And that that's what it is. Yeah. They're like nacho flavored uh, human meat uh that's disgusting yeah all right i need to uh wash my soul with something okay please do should we move on to nebraska let's go um actually this isn't gonna wash my soul with anything (laughs) (laughs) this isn't good well i guess maybe um how familiar are you with omaha history uh not very. I know there's been some tragic things, but... There are, and this isn't too tragic. Well, it's tragic-ish. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard of a town called Sheely Town? Mm, I don't believe I have. There was a town called Sheely Town. It's at 27th and Martha Street in uh, 
Omaha, and it is a it was a Polish village, still kind of is. Um, the Dinkers uh, is a uh, I'm not sure what it is. I think it's a diner. But there was a meat packing plant around there, and a lot of uh, Jewish German immigrants uh, operated the meat packing plant. And then the Polish uh, people came in. Let me get a date time. This is the 1880s, and the uh, Jewish uh, German uh, people pushed out uh, were pushed out by these Polish immigrants that came in, and so they built this like invisible wall, you know, of okay, well the Polish people stay over here, and that really isolated these uh, Polish immigrants. So as other immigrants came in, um, Irish uh, people um, were not allowed really in this area of Sheely Town. It was basically just for the Polish people. So even Irish people, it's, there's a quote here that's saying Irishmen even a block away would come to date a Poli, uh, Polish girl from Sheely Town. Uh, they were beaten to a pulp. Mm. It was very clannish around that time. And in Mar- in March of 19, 1895, um, there was a Polish-speaking St. Paul's Catholic Church, and the bishop at the time um, said, okay, we're going to stop being Polish-speaking so we can get all these Irish people to come to this church. And there were a lot of Polish people, Polish nationalists, who said, um, bishop, we're not going to do that. This, this, this church is going to stay Polish. So they were called the goats, and the other people who were going along with the bishop were called the lambs, and the goats managed to secure the property title to the church, at least at the initial stage, and then the lambs came to, when the lambs came to take the church back after they secured the title, um, the Polish people, they barricaded themselves inside with guns drawn. Um, the uh, Two weeks after this whole title thing went out, went down. Um, there were, uh, people who were shot, um, in the hip and other things. I don't think anybody died, but then the church ignited into flames and that happened, um, after the, uh, district court, after the higher court said that the, uh, the lambs should, should get the church. So basically overturned the goats getting that, uh, church. So then the church burned to the ground and they said they saw one of the Polish people fleeing the church uh, with four of his bodyguards uh, carrying boxes. There were people who uh, were quoted as saying that these Polish people basically said before, if we, if we can't have this church, we're going to burn it down, mm-hmm. and that'll settle it. And uh, they, went, um, they went all the way to the final hearing that they were going to have on this appeal, they didn't appeal. They um, canceled the property insurance on the church, and uh, they loaded. There were reports of people who said they they saw people coming in with uh, wagons to get a bunch of boxes out of the church, and then it was uh, put up in flames. And Sheely Town still kind of exists, except that uh, when I four eighty came into uh, the area, it basically divided Sheely Town down the middle and just took everything uh, with it as far. There's still a little of a Polish kind of um, culture down there. They have polka bands and, and street dances and taverns and stuff on a, on a yearly basis. This Dinkers, whatever that ends up being, is still there. And uh, a lot of the Polish people moved up to the Golden Hill area. 
and this is a forgotten uh, part of um, Omaha history. There's no historical marker for Sheely Town. There's just a there's a polka band that shares its name, and oh, Dinkers is a bar. It says right here. So Dinkers is this bar. So you got this bar, and then um, a polka band. That's it. That's Sheely Town. Interesting. And I never knew Sheely Town existed. There's nobody who talks about it. I didn't know, probably because they burnt the church down and they don't really want to celebrate that. I don't know. But yeah. um, there there was a place called Sheely Town, and uh, it used to have a church. Now, those boxes that we're leaving, do you think the Ark of the Covenant was amongst them? <laughs> uh, no doubt uh, that if, if I were going to store the Ark of the Covenant anywhere... It would be uh, at a at a Polish church in Sheely Town. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it. After nine eleven, where did the president go? That's right, Dinkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you go to uh, the middle of the middle of the middle. That's which, right. Uh, is Omaha deep underground? Deep underground, and then you run things from there. I, I suppose that's a safe place. Uh, yeah. to think about going and. Um, I don't know uh, whether the Ark of Covenant was in there. I don't know where those boxes would have ended up. And I don't know how those people went, you know, to the bishop and said, no, we're not going to do that. Right. Yeah. I guess that's, I don't know how you do that as, as uh, you that, know, a religious person. Those kind of things have started new religions in the past. Well, yeah. You know. They'd go, okay, well, <laughs> we're going to talk Polish over here. Um, there was uh, one of the leaders of the goats they said was, uh, they thought he was a priest for the longest time. Everybody. I guess he had everybody convinced that he was a priest. <laughs> but really, he was just this this layperson who played the organ. <laughs> nice. So at least that's what this story said. So that's mm-hmm. so he got all these uh, goats uh, to come away uh, from from the church uh, because he spoke Polish and played the organ. It's a devil. Well, he led the goats. Yeah, right. I don't know. They call themselves the goats. Yeah, they do. Sometimes the devil might hide in plain sight. That's right. Maybe that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, that's right. For, uh, Nate, you just pointed at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. What's your Nebraska thing? No, Nebraska. It's not for everyone. It's a uh, our new tourist slogan. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Right. I, I completely agree. That's right. We'll shut it down. That's exactly right. <laughs> we should build a wall. We should, should. That, should that be our governor's, uh, you know, slogan? Let's build a wall because honestly, this this place isn't for everyone. So we, we have to you have to meet a certain level of criteria, That's certain right. amount of donations to get through. We don't even have a toll it's on I eighty. Our one thing that everybody comes through. That's on, right. And we're not like, huh? No, no. Our state is literally for everyone. To, yeah. to completely drive through and make fun of. That's exactly right. That's all they do. That's exactly right. Get off the beaten path and go check out the real... That's real Nebraska. Right. Right. McConaughey, Toadstool, yeah. Sand Ash, Hills. Ash Falls. Ash Falls. You know, down south by the Republican River Valley. Oh, yeah. Those are beautiful, beautiful parts of America. Yeah. Nobody sees them because you're just running around South Platte and, or, you know, south of the Platte. And uh, it's pretty boring there. Right. I'll completely agree with people who think that's pretty boring. Yeah. I mean, you got good towns. You got things like that. But it's basically just drive through America. That's right. So that part is for everybody. But the other part might not be because you have to decide to drive an hour and a half. Right. Two lanes. Yeah. And Often. I, and, and except in the case of Ogallala and McConaughey when you can get there in 10 minutes. 
Exactly. Yeah. But still, 10 minutes to... If you can't see it, they're not going to get off the interstate. Right. I don't think so. Have you ever been to Bridges of Madison County? Uh, I've been to Madison County. I don't know that I spent much time looking for the actual... Bridges. bridges. I think I've seen a bridge in Madison, Madison County, the covered bridge. Yeah, but, uh, they have a, they have a bunch of them. There's one main one. You have to drive like an hour yeah. off the interstate. John Wayne, I think, was born there or raised yeah. there or something. And I had zero desire to do that. Uh, right. My wife is like, uh, we're going to uh, the other side of Iowa for some reason. And she's she's like, no, no, we have to do that. We have time. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, no, we have to <laughs> we have to get there. We have to hurry up and get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we drove down to the bridges of Madison County. Beautiful town, uh, beautiful experience. Got to see those bridges. But in my head, like it, it's delaying things by an hour of where we need to go. There's such speed and rush in their state that the thought of, of going down to anything less than 80 miles an hour, or yeah. excuse me, 75 miles an hour, is, is just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And you see the signs on I-80 too, you know, Shadron or, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, okay. Three hours away. <laughs> oh, yeah, quick quick side trip before yeah. we head to Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honey, uh, stay with me here. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to drive up to Toadstool yeah. National Park, which is, you know, you got three hours off, off the interstate and then we're going to have some kind of weird hour one-way road thing mm-hmm. that we're going to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're not going to be able to believe that there's anything there until you actually get there. Yeah. Which is not for everyone, right? That's not for everyone. And the people that have been there, it's for those people. Yeah. I love that place. It's a beautiful place. And I think that that is those people who are willing to go there are who that slogan is is for. Yep, that's exactly right. So I, I don't think it's self-deprecating. I, I didn't like it at first. It grew on me, mm-hmm. and now I'm all, yeah. Yeah. Not for everyone. That's right. You want to stay on the interstate, that's for everyone. Exactly. So. No, that's a good that's a good breakdown. I like it. Well, that's what I'm here to do is try and break down these things. Break it on down. Do you have any thoughts on the? Uh... No, I like it. I like it. I think it's good. I think it's catchy. And uh, people are talking about it. They do talk. Yes, they do. People talk a lot. We've yeah. talked. We have. We've talked with our, our late night show. Mm-hmm. For a sufficient amount of time, do you feel? I think I have no idea how long we've been talking. My phone's off. <laughs> I can't see the clock on your computer. But we've talked to six topics. We have. We have. Is there anything else? What was your favorite one? Favorite one, uh, I, the mesmerization story was interesting. I'm a, I'm a sucker for ancient climate history. No, and that, that I think is going to be at least ten more topics. Oh man, yeah. This because this changes so much. This is this changes our. It changes history. Human history. It changes what we perceive and what we think. Yeah. And I don't know. I, the way I was taught history is, would change significantly had we thought of the world being connected together. Yeah, the French were the first ones in America. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, or what would become French. And then it, it leads on to topics of climate change 
these days. Yeah. And how that's going to affect things. Totally. And once you get the perspective of, okay, um, we're not superior just because we're here. There is some, I guess, something we can learn from looking at this historical climate record. Right. And the warning that that is going to give us that it might happen now. Yeah. And these things don't happen gradually. There's evidence that sea level rise can happen short order. So, well, I hope we're here. Almost. Yeah. Overnight. Exactly. Uh oh. Yeah. Big time rises. And uh, there's evidence. We'll, well talk about it again later. I think we'll be okay here in Nebraska. But. That's right. Anyway, thank you. I'm John Brandt. I'm Nate Edom. This is a, a recorded version of Knowledge XP. And uh, see you next time. Good night.